So my name's Claire. I've got Andy up on the stage with me. Um, lots of you will know Andy um, and the story that's happened for him over the past 21 months. If what you hear today, you think, oh, I don't know the rest of that story, there's a really lovely um, video that summarises what's happened to Andy on our Hope YouTube um, channel, so go and check that out afterwards. Um, but Andy, can you give us a brief summary of what's happened in the last 21 months during lockdown? Yeah, so um, I've been coming along to this church for the last 20 years, and um, I've, uh, I've been a farmer all my working life. And um, in October 2020, um, I had a, a life-changing accident at work. Um, to cut a long story short, I, uh, yeah, I, had, I had an accident at work. Uh, which put me in a uh, coma for a month. I had life-threatening injuries from the tip of my toes to the top of my head. And um, I spent three months in hospital and uh, six, seven months of recovery after that. And um, yeah, there's, there's the whole, this whole thing is just um, testifying to, to God how much this recovery I've had, uh, what a miraculous recovery I've had and how quickly it's, um, the, the recovery has been. I mean, I was told that this could be years of hospital and physio and everything. So, you know, three months as I had a massive brain injury, a massive head injury which was the, the worst part of it. And um, one month in a coma and two months in hospital and I was out. Um, but yeah, there's a lot more to it than that. But that's the brief summary. So more recently, as a result of your accident, the DVLA took away your driving license, um, which you needed for a new job now that you're, you're back working. Um, can you Tell us a bit about how God's come through um, against, I guess, the DVLA. Yeah, so that was probably, to be honest with you, one of the biggest challenges was uh, having my driving license taken off me. Um, having no independence is, is really tough for me after years of driving and just um, being on, you know, being able to do, go where you want, when you want. And... Um, yeah, so with the extent of my head injuries, uh, DVLA's protocols were to remove your license, which they did really quickly. They took it off me really quickly, but it took a long time to come back. Um, but uh, in that time, I learned patience and, uh, you know, the persistence of prayer and um, just, yeah, just seeking God over over it really um and uh, it, yeah I've, so my license came back about a month ago after uh, a long battle with dvla and getting the mp involved and so on and so forth and it, yeah it's good to be back on the road yeah so that's an amazing answer to prayer isn't it that um you were telling me yesterday when we were preparing for this that 
most people will wait two, three years to get their driving license back with the injuries that um, you sustain. So to get it back within a, a year of asking for it um, is, is amazing. And I don't think I'd be alone in saying that when I got the initial text that was coming around the church to pray for you, I heard the injuries and maybe as a doctor, I had a slight insight and I, I didn't have much faith that this was going to be um, a positive outcome, but prayed. But as each prayer, as each text message came through from Helen, explaining the answer to the previous prayer had, had happened. So you avoided brain surgery at one point. At one point, we thought you were going for a hip operation, and that then didn't happen because it wasn't needed. I felt my faith growing because we were seeing, we would ask for something that in my medical brain was not possible, and then it would happen, and then you'd be spurred on to pray again. And I think it was just such an amazing, like, it was horrific what happened to you. But I think as a church, our faith in the power of prayer has come on because of this story. So, um, so is there anything else you want to say? I know that is because we've rehearsed this. Yeah, I mean, um, off the back of that, I just remember, um, so my wife wrote a journal, basically, through this whole, every day I was in hospital, um, she just kept uh, a journal and I've been reading through that and there was one night where um, my uh, my swelling in my brain was getting to a, a critical stage where they said to her the night before if it doesn't the pressure doesn't drop in the in the brain then in the morning he's gonna have to go and have a, a major um, head, in, a head brain surgery and uh, that was a really risky operation and so my wife got on the uh, on the WhatsApp and sent out the messages to all the different prayer groups and literally overnight the pressure dropped in the morning the phone went doctor saying you won't believe it but the pressure's dropped we won't need to take him down um, and this this sort of thing was happening all the way through um, my recovery you know things that shouldn't have happened happened and it is down to prayer I had thousands of people praying for me all over the world um, and I just want to thank you this church for you know calling prayer meetings thanks Steve for calling prayer meetings for me um, and it's because of that I'm stood here today testifying of, of God's goodness on me I mean I'm just a normal person that's had a super unordinary thing happen and it's down to God and God's goodness to me that I'm here today. So thank you. So thank you, Andy, for sharing your story. I think Tim's going to come up and speak. It's uh, utterly wonderful to uh, hear Andy sharing that story today. We rewind to when the incident happened. I'd only just arrived and was getting these messages through and it was just one of those, oh God, please, please break in. And, it, and it's a story of God's intervention after intervention after intervention, at sustaining and healing and helping Andy. It's been amazing. But God didn't intervene to prevent the accident in the first place. It's the accident happened. So we, it, which, 
causes us to ask questions about why does God intervene in moments and then why doesn't he? Why did God allow that to happen? And you probably in your life, if you're a Christian and you've been walking with God for any length of time, would also probably have stories where you go, God intervened there. I went through something. God sustained me through it. It was tough. It was brutal. I've got a story to tell. And he's got a story to tell. And what has he just done? He's attributed it to God's goodness and grace. And he's honored God through it. But it does still raise lots of questions for us. If God's all-powerful, why doesn't God intervene to stop these things from happening in the first place? That is a crucial question. Today, we are looking at God who is all-powerful, the omnipotence of God, God who is all-powerful. And I hope, by God's grace, we're going to work through some of those big questions. Before I go on, I want to recommend a book. This is by Rebecca McLaughlin called 10 Questions Every Teen Should Ask and Answer About Christianity. This is a brilliant book. If you are a teenager, if you have teenagers or children, if you know teenagers, get hold of this book. She is dealing with the massive questions that our teenagers are confronted by every day, such as, I'm just going to read a few out. Isn't Christianity against diversity? Can Jesus be true for me, but not for you? Has science disproved Christianity? Can't we just agree that love is love? Who cares if you're a boy or a girl? Does God care when we hurt? How can you believe in heaven or hell? Now, if you'd like to know the answers to those questions, I'd encourage you to get hold of this book. This is accessible. It's very well written. But especially, I'd encourage you, if you're a teenager, get hold of this book. If you're a parent to children, get hold of this book. Maybe buy it for someone. So I just want to recommend it to you. I'm actually going to be making reference to teenagers through this sermon. So I'm really pleased. I didn't know the youth were going to be in today. I'm really pleased that they are because they're precious to us. And they are in an absolute battle right now. And we as a church need to uphold them in prayer. And so I hope to bring a word to encourage you guys, if you're a teenager here today, and to encourage all of us to pray for them and for each other. Here's a vital point that I want to make right from the very beginning before we press into thinking about God who is all-powerful. And that is this. All of God's attributes, all of God's attributes stand together And we must never isolate one of God's attributes from another, especially this one. The revelation of who God is that we have in the Bible is vast. And we will spend all of eternity discovering new and wonderful things about God and what God is like. And through the scriptures, we have all these fantastic, glorious aspects of God's character and nature revealed to us. Hence why we've been going through this series. But if we extract one aspect of God's character revealed to us, one aspect, one attribute of God that is revealed to us in the Bible, from all the others, we can get ourselves into trouble, especially this one. God is all-powerful. 
But we must not isolate God who is all-powerful from the fact that God is love. We must not isolate the fact that God is all-powerful from the fact that God is good. And we must not isolate the fact that God is all-powerful from the fact that God is eternal. Because we often think of God as being a bit like a superhero who can intervene and use his power to do extraordinary things, to prevent disasters from happening. Can God do that? And does God do that? You bet. John Piper in his book, Providence, which I've recently read, he makes this point. He says, we often are outraged when an airplane crashes and we point the finger at God and we say, how could you let that happen? And he says, how many hundreds of thousands of planes are sustained by God and yet we never go, oh wow, God, remarkable that you keep that massive chunk of metal in the air. But when disaster hits, when the crisis hits, it's very easy to point the finger at God. What are you doing? We don't have God's perspective on eternity. When tragedy struck the Kitto's household, why has this happened? And you might be going through a tragedy right now. You might be experiencing pain and you might be in a furnace right now. And you are asking the question, where is God? Why is this happening? I thought you were all powerful. He's all powerful. And he's love and he's good and he's merciful and he's just and he's eternal and he is beyond our ability to comprehend, but also an intimate God who walks with us through these trials. We're going to be going to Daniel chapter 3. So if you have a Bible, I'd encourage you to turn to Daniel chapter 3. I will be reading from there in a moment. Firstly, let me just bring this verse from Jeremiah 32 verse 17. O Lord God, you yourself made the heavens and the earth by your great power and with your outstretched arm. Nothing is too difficult for you. Matthew 19, verse 26. With God, all things are possible. All things are possible. There is nothing too difficult for our God to do. There is no miracle too hard for our God to perform. There is no gift that he can't have the power to deliver to us. He's all powerful. He hears our prayers. And yet he doesn't do everything according to our will. Jesus prayed, let your kingdom come, let your will be done. So I want us to look at this passage of scripture in Daniel chapter 3, which is a fantastic insight into how we as God's people are to understand and to live our lives in view of the fact that he's an all-powerful God, especially at the, the times when we're tested and we're tempted to doubt and we're tempted to give up on him. So I'm going to read a number of verses. We're going to start in verse 1, and we're going to be thinking about initially the powers of this world. So Daniel 1, verse 1. In fact, I'd encourage you probably to follow on the screen because I'm not just going to be going through the whole chapter. We're going to be jumping over to various verses. Daniel chapter 3, verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue 
90 feet high and nine feet wide. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Verse four, a herald loudly proclaimed, people of every nation and language, you are commanded. When you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, drum, and every kind of music, you are to fall face down and worship the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. But whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a furnace of blazing fire. In white, just so you know, I've highlighted those verses that particularly show us a tactic or scheme of the powers of evil to attack faith. So this first one is a fear of death. Verse eight, some Chaldeans took this occasion to come forward and maliciously accuse the Jews. Malicious accusations. Verse 12, there are some Jews you have appointed to manage the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men have ignored you, the king. They do not serve your gods or worship the gold statue that you have set up. Then in a furious rage, Nebuchadnezzar gave orders to bring in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king. Nebuchadnezzar asked them, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, is it true that you don't serve my gods or worship the gold statue I've set up? Now, if you're ready when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, drum, and every kind of music, fall down and worship the statue I made. But if you don't worship it, you will immediately be thrown into a furnace of blazing fire. And who is the God who can rescue you from my power? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this incredible encouragement we've already heard through our time of worship of your power, through Andy's testimony of your power. And as we look at this passage of scripture today that draws attention to the power of the one true God, I pray, strengthen us, help us to know how great you are and worthy of worship. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Powers of this world. The context is this. This is Babylon. This is uh, a very kind of pantheistic empire, which means lots of different religions are worshipped, lots of different gods, lots of different worldviews. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are part of a crop of Israelites and Jews who were brought from Jerusalem, forcibly removed at a young age. And they are trained in the culture, trained in the language, trained in the worldview of Babylon, expected to be able to espouse the doctrines, to teach and to lead through the culture of the day that was found in Babylon, which had a king, a crazy despot, an egotistical maniac, King Nebuchadnezzar, who was reigning over this empire. And Nebuchadnezzar has established this great idol, this 90-foot golden statue. And the instructions have gone out across Babylon, which essentially are these. You can worship your gods. You can have your idols. You can have your gods. 
But you do need to also, also worship our God. You do need to also bow before this idol. We tolerate all kinds of worldviews. We tolerate all kinds of religions and all kinds of faiths. But what we will not tolerate is anyone who refuses to bow down and worship before this golden statue. And it would seem that for the majority of people in Babylon, that wasn't a problem. Okay, fine. I'll worship my idol this morning, and I'll worship Nebuchadnezzar's later on. Maybe one of them's right. Let's give it a go. Let's see what happens. Now, for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, this is a massive problem. Why? Because the first commandment says this, I, the Lord your God, I am the Lord your God, you shall have no other gods beside me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or in the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them to worship them. They're in Babylon. They're away from home. They're in this intense environment. And they are being forcibly required to bow the knee and to worship this idol. The question for them is, do we compromise? The question for them is, do we risk everything that has been said will happen by refusing to bow down to this idol? What were they threatened with? They were threatened with the furnace, with death. They were maliciously accused. These Jews, this is what they're doing. This is how they're behaving. And Nebuchadnezzar said, who is your God that can rescue you from the fire to doubt? These are very common tactics that the evil one uses. Fear of loss of life or livelihood. Fear of loss of reputation for remaining faithful. And third, being tempted to question and to doubt your faith. I wonder if you can identify or relate to any of those. What would they do? I put to you that we live in a very similar society today. Very, very similar. Now you might say there's no 90 foot statue that we're required to bow down and worship. But do you, do you ever feel uncomfortable being a Christian today? Do you ever find it uncomfortable being someone who lives according to God's word today? Do you ever feel nervous to share the truth that you've read in this book? Is there an idol that we're all expected to bow down to and to worship? We live in a society that claims to be very tolerant. We tolerate all worldviews, we tolerate all religions, all are welcome. The one thing you're not able to do is to claim that you're right and I'm wrong. No, 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 no. It's true for you. It's true for you. And I have my own truth. The challenge is, of course, that every person's worldview, every person's perspective on the world is an, ex is an exclusive one. Everyone's is. So we as Christians would say, no, there's one God, and his name is Jesus Christ. And the Bible says he is the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father. No one comes to God except through Jesus Christ. 
And the person out there in a plural society, in a tolerant society, will say to us, that sounds very exclusive and intolerant. That sounds quite bigoted, what you've just said there. You shouldn't say that. Now, you see what they've done? Is they've claimed their own exclusive perspective on what's right and what's wrong. They've said it's wrong to say that what you believe is right and what I believe is wrong. So the point is simply everyone has an exclusive perspective on the world. So for a Christian to say, oh no, all paths lead to God and, uh, and God can be found in all different ways is to fundamentally disagree with what Jesus says when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So whose God is more powerful Whose God is the true God? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are in this environment which is in overwhelmingly intense, and there is literally a furnace, a blaze, that people are cast into for not conforming. And this is when I just want to make a comment again about our teenagers. Because I will put to you this, that there is no more intense and difficult environment to be a Christian today than in schools and in senior schools. That there is probably nowhere else where to say, I am a Christian and I actually believe the Bible. I don't think there's a more hostile environment to make that kind of statement. The moral person in Babylon, the good person in Babylon, bows down to the idol. The rebel, the evil person, refuses to do that. The righteous, the right person, the righteous person bows down to the idol in, the, in this worldview. And the, the wicked person refuses to do that. So here's the thing that our kids face and our teenagers face. Is not the, so there was a day and age that when I was at school, I, I shared my faith at one point. I was a bit slow to start with. And I shared my faith with my friend and it wasn't easy, it was difficult. But my word, it's nothing like what our teenagers have to face today. I wanna to ask you, are you praying for them mindful of these things? Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego's today will be teenagers. That kind of courage to say, I believe in Jesus Christ and I believe that his word is a lamp to my feet and is a light to my path. I believe that he is true and I love him and I honor him and I won't compromise my faith when I'm in environments where I'm being forced to bow down and worship. The ignorance of this world at the moment, ignorance, folly, madness, getting very preachy this morning. <laughs> but we mustn't just go, oh, but people have got difficult things which they're working through. And somehow we minimize the fact that there are powers of darkness operating in this nation today that are attacking God's word and God's people. And the church is compromising all over the place, all over the place. We won't, we won't read from the Bible. What we'll do is we'll speak about lots of political issues and we'll engage with those. I'm, I'm engaging with those today from the word of God. Now we do need to engage with them, but, 
But if we're not making a call, if we're not willing to speak God's truth and to say, this is what God's word says. And there are probably, in my lifetime, certainly there's never been a moment like this where for me to say some of the things and to talk in this way has never been more controversial and difficult. So what do we do as a church? We go, well, this was useful for a, for a while. Let's go and let's read something else. Or do we say, you know what, Lord, we might shrink as a church. We might become less. We might become more and more ostracized. And we might find ourselves thrown into the furnace. But your word remains truth. And we should especially think of our teenagers. Especially. So I want to ask you all, if you're a member of this church, I want to ask you to commit. I would ask you, join with me to commit to praying for them every day. Lord, would you hold them up? Would you keep them strong? Would they know true faith? True boldness? Would you raise up Daniels and Shadrachs and Meshachs and Abednegoes and Esthers? And people who are willing to step into an environment that's hostile, even at the risk of their lives. And actually, the tragedy is that I'm not, this isn't even hyperbolic, the language I'm using here. Right, pray for our teenagers. God hears our prayers. So they refuse to bow down. And Nebuchadnezzar is furious. He's enraged. I will throw you into the furnace. What would their response be? Let's look at the power of faith. Faith in an all-powerful God. Let's just read together verses 16 to 18. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to give you an answer to this question. If the God we serve exists and he can rescue us from the furnace of blazing fire and he can rescue us from the power of you, the king, but even if he does not rescue us, we want you as king to know that we will not serve your gods or worship the gold statue you set up. Wow. With the furnace maybe just yards away with a psycho in front of them, throwing people into it. They stand before him. We're not going to worship you and your gods. And actually, the God that we know, he's able to rescue us from the furnace. But even if he doesn't, he's still God. He's still worthy of worship. He's still more powerful. What does it say about your God if one minute you're able to worship this one and then the next minute you're able to worship this one and then the next minute you're able to worship this one? It, it, surely it shows that you don't believe that any of them is all-powerful. If you really believed one of them to be all-powerful, you dare turn your back to that God and worship another one. So it's unbelief. It's massive unbelief, massive lies. But these guys are very clear. Where does this kind of boldness come from? Where does this kind of courage come from? 
Steve read out Psalm 63 earlier. We're going to read it again because I had it in my notes. Isn't that nice when that happens? Listen to this. This is, these, this is who these guys are. Psalm 63, verse 1. God, you are my God. Eagerly I seek you. I thirst for you. My body faints for you in a dry, desolate, in a land that is dry, desolate, and without water. So I gaze on you in the sanctuary to see your strength and your glory. That's faith. My lips will glorify you because your faithful love is better than life. That's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's witness before Nebuchadnezzar. His love is even better than my life. So you can throw us into the furnace if you want. We know something even better than the bodies we inhabit, the lives that we live. Knowing God is even better than that. What? Wow. Faith. That's what faith is. Faith, as John Calvin put it, is not some distant view, but it's a warm embrace of Christ. So they stand before Nebuchadnezzar and their hearts are full to overflowing with the love of God, with the joy of knowing God, to know God. How are our teenagers to get through school? And they will, because God's with them. How are they going to get through it? By knowing faith in God. By knowing the love of God. By knowing that God's opinion of them matters infinitely more than what people in their class might say or think about them. Faith. Knowing God. Knowing his love. Knowing him not being willing to compromise. Even though there are threats of loss of reputation, threats of being ostracized, threats of ridicule, threats of death, to know God is better than anything else. It would have been easy for them just to, do you know what guys, that furnace looks awful. Let's just bow to the idol and keep our fingers crossed. We don't really mean it. And if they'd done that, we'd never have heard of them. But they knew something that prevented them from doing that. They knew the all-powerful God, the true God. They knew the all-powerful God. It's easier for you, maybe, at work, not to mention that you're a Christian. It might be easier at work to just conform and to assimilate and to blend in. And you might be able to rationalize it. Well, I need to make sure that I don't want my faith to be the reason why people don't like me. Now, I'm not necessarily saying that you should stand up on top of your desk and start waving your Bible around. I'm asking you just to, just to, see Jesus said, pick up your cross and follow me. He who loses his life finds it. And I know that we're in a day and age now, which is uncomfortable, as I've already said. 
but greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. Just see what God might do as you make a stand. As you make a stand. Would you be courageous? Would you draw from within the treasure of this wonderful gospel, the pearl of great price? I'm going to buy this field and I'm going to sell everything to have it because nothing compares to this treasure. In you, jars of clay, the hidden treasures. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where's your heart? Where's your treasure? What matters most to you? It's easy for me to say this to some degree because I get to work in an environment which is very conducive to faith, <laughs> believe it or not. I, was, I did have a couple of years where I was in an environment which was very different. I know the pressures. I'm praying for you. We're praying for you. Faith in an all-powerful God. Even if he does not rescue us. Isn't that amazing? Even if he does not rescue us. What's the thing you're longing for God to do? What's the furnace that you're seeing before you? Our God can rescue us. Right? He can do this. Other translations actually say, and he will do this. So there's a sense in which their answer here is so full of an assurance that God's going to rescue them. They have real faith here that God will rescue them. Because in, in, this, in the original text, that's the sense of what's being said here. Our God can and will, but even if he doesn't, we won't bow down, we won't worship. I know some of you are longing for a miracle. Longing for God to break in. My God can rescue me from this. But even if he doesn't, you see, he's got a perspective on eternity that I don't have. And he's all powerful and he can do it. He's also all good and all loving and all knowing and all eternal. We can imagine what it would be like to be all powerful, but what we can't imagine is eternity and if we had that perspective, it might well be that we would see our current circumstances quite differently. We don't have that perspective, though he does. And faith stirs in us a confidence and courage to trust God. Thirdly and finally, rescued. Rescued by an all-powerful God. Let's read what happens next. Verse 24. They've been thrown into the furnace by the way. <laughs> then King Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in alarm. He said to his advisors, didn't we throw three men bound into the fire? Yes, of course, your majesty, they replied to the king. He exclaimed, look, I see four men, not tied, walking around in the fire, unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the door of the furnace of blazing fire and called, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you servants of the Most High God, come out. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire. When the satraps, prefects, governors, and the king's advisors gathered around, 
they saw that the fire had no effect on the bodies of these men. Not a hair of their heads was singed. Their robes were unaffected, and there was no smell of the fire on them. Nebuchadnezzar exclaimed, Praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel and rescued his servants who trusted in him. They violated the king's command and risked their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own. There was a fourth man in the furnace. This is one of the most powerful moments in the whole Bible. It's an extraordinary deliverance. The furnace is heated. It's, who can imagine it? And they're thrown it. Even those that went to throw them in died from the flames. These, these three go in, and someone comes alongside them. The term that scholars use for this fourth person or this moment is a Christophany. A Christophany, which is a pre-incarnate appearing of Jesus Christ. A pre-nativity appearing of Jesus Christ. That in the furnace, in the place of affliction and trial and persecution comes Christ to protect them, to keep them safe, to unbind them, to love them, to uphold them, to see them out. Christ comes into the fire. Isn't that amazing? Is this just that these three were particularly holy and particularly remarkable? 1 Peter 1, 6-7 says this, You rejoice in this, even though now for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials, so that the proven character of your faith, more valuable than gold, which, though perishable, is refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And next, Isaiah 43. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and the rivers will not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched, and the flame will not burn you. That's a promise for you. That's a promise for you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched and the flame will not burn you. That's a promise for you and for me. You're going to go through the fire. You're going to go through times when it's so uncomfortable and you think, how have I found myself here? And God's promise to you is, actually, the, the you the real you, this person who's been made new, the new creation, the new life that's begun in your heart, untouchable. And over the centuries, of course, we've seen many who have literally been thrown into the flame in this country as well, rejoicing and worshiping and praising because the true worshiper within them can't be touched by the fire. And the presence of Jesus Christ is promised to bring deliverance from 
the flame. I will be with you. I wonder, I mean, Nebuchadnezzar saw the fourth man. I wonder whether even the three were as aware of his presence. I'm sure they were. But they may not have been. But the presence was seen by others. And I've seen this with Christians as well. I've seen Christians going through incredible trial. I can think of my brother, who I know wouldn't mind me sharing this, who for much of his university life was plagued by doubt, incredible doubt, and felt so alone and so isolated, and God seemed so far off to him. And during those university years, through his witness, many people came to faith in Jesus. And I said to him, my, I, can, I, see, I see Jesus with you. It's so evident. Even maybe if you don't feel his presence, his word remains true, that he is with you. But I would pray that you do feel his presence and you do know him, sustaining you and giving you his great power. Bear in mind, he can do all things. And his word is that he will rescue all of us. Why don't we just stand? I'll invite the band to come. Do you know what I want us to do now? I want us to pray for our teenagers. So I'd love us to do that. Now, at risk of embarrassing them, I'm not going to invite you to come to the front, don't worry. If you'd like to be prayed for, because you know how tough and challenging it can be to be a Christian, why don't you just raise your hand? You may be in the work environment. You may be in a work environment and you may find a similar pressure as well. You'd like to be prayed for. I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand and we will just reach out our hands to you. I know it's very awkward being a teenager because you're so self-aware. Why don't we close? Just reach out your hand. Right. And I, just as an acknowledgement before God, we just want to hold you up and pray for you. You know what environment you're in and you know the, the challenge it is for you to bow down to idols. You know that pressure. Lord Jesus, I pray for this kind of faith to know that your love is better than life itself. And I pray, Lord Jesus, just as you walked these guys through the furnace, would you take each of these dear people here by the hand and would they know you're with them? Would they know your power sustaining them? Would they know, Lord Jesus Christ, that you are their deliverer and their rescuer? Would they know that you are the all-powerful God, more powerful than the powers of this world and the powers of darkness? The power that raised Jesus Christ from the grave lives within you. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. And the promise for us is a treasure which can't be touched in heaven. A glorious treasure that awaits God's people. And Lord, I pray over our church and I pray over the church in this nation today. Keep us from compromise. Keep us from jettisoning your word. Help us, Lord Jesus, to keep our eyes on you. Help us, Lord, to say we will be led by truth. We will be led by the light. 
and we refuse to bow down to compromise because we know Lord Jesus that this message is life for all people that this is good news for all people and so Lord give us the faith to boldly and courageously proclaim who you are and what you've done in Jesus name Amen